everybody, and welcome to the Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Brian April, and I'm really excited uh, to have today's guest uh, here with us. She is absolutely one of my favorite uh, comedians to watch. I absolutely love her. She makes me laugh um, so hard. And uh, she's an amazing, amazing comedian. She tours all over the world, and uh, she's also an actor. Absolutely love her. You guys are going to love her, too. So let's welcome the one, the only, Miss Charlene May. Charlene. Yay! Hey, how are you? What ya? an intro. My God. Hi. You know, we, we try to try to go. just make it look all snazzy. Wait. How are you? On. I'm good. I'm trying to get this right. Right? <laughs> yep, absolutely. Okay. She's, a, she's an actor. You know, I'm in, I'm in my bedroom. Good. My sister's There bedroom. you go. Okay. Very cool. So, so how are you doing? Well, <laughs> you know, some of us are quarantined and we're happy because we're like, I get to do anything I want and, you know, we can, right? Because except yep. if you're introverted, which most comedians are, you're just like, what? I get to be by myself and <laughs> not have to go anywhere and like, you know, write and it's like amazing. And then some of us were, I had to go, come to Georgia to take care of a little messy problem I had. And then I couldn't get back to California. So I've been here for a month. Wow. That sounds like the mafia right there. A little exactly. messy problem. That's what it <laughs> Something uh, fell off the truck. You know. That's right. I, <laughs> I hope I got that. A, uh, I got a letter. I got a fish in the mail. And I'm like, okay, someone's swimming with the fishes. I better there you go. go. Yeah, no. There you go. So your problem's been handled. Well, my problem's been handled, but now I'm here. <laughs> and until I can quarantine myself when I get back, I'm here. And then they... They, I don't think people knew, but in LAX, they shut down flights. Like, they oh, really? stopped doing flights to LAX. Oh, okay. Yes. Wow. I did so not you, know you that. You are stuck. You are stuck in Georgia. So I'm a little stuck. So I'm but with my Georgia's, family. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. They're making Fa me crazy. Well, yes. I haven't, I haven't been here in 10 years with my family this much. I came for <laughs> Christmas. And for Christmas, you can ignore everything because it's fa la la and ho ho ho. Right. And cookies. And you don't notice the crazy. Right. When you're here and you can't get out and everybody can't get out. It's like, <laughs> like any minute I'm waiting for my dad to barge in and go, who are you talking to? What are you doing in there? <laughs> like if I would be talking like to like, say I was on a zoom meeting with the president of the United States, I'd be like, dad, I'm talking about what, what is, is this bum? Are you talking to this bum? I'm like, dad, he can hear you. I don't care. Is he cheating you out of your money? I'm like, Oh I totally wouldn't do that. I promise it would be totally amazing. <laughs> well, I didn't even mean the president of the United States. I shouldn't have oh. said that. I met the president of a company where I'm talking to my boss. Yeah, no, I know. Just anyway. I just just going good. on. I liked it. it. Yeah, you know. I liked it. I so we do. We do. So um I remember the first time I, I saw you and I met you uh was at a a clean comedy conference and you went up and absolutely killed it. And I was like Oh my gosh, I love, love, love this <laughs> this comedian. She's amazing. And it's interesting because you're not necessarily um you can work clean, but you don't you also don't work clean. So there's there's uh you know, there are times that you're at other clubs and you you're not as clean or whatever, but it just shows that like working clean is really hard for a lot of people to do and you can see them struggle with it, but you pulled it off amazingly and um I absolutely love you. The biggest thing I love, I would say, about your act is the fact that you um, 
I, I grew up in Boston, so I'm East Coast. So you come across, you have this sweet, lovable um, style that's really funny, but you're also extremely bitter and sarcastic, which, you know, it's, it's this weird balance that you, you have where it's like the sweet and this bitter, like sarcastic thing. I don't know how you pull it off, but it just fills my soul with, with joy because that's, you know, where I'm from. I think it's, I really think it's like, uh, one, I think it's my family. Now that I'm here, there's, there's nothing, they do not answer anything unless it's sarcasm. Okay. They don't answer a question. They're always having something to say that's awful or like, you're like, can I use the car? I'm like, oh, can I use the car? Can I move food? Can I do this? Can I get like, can I just have the car without you? <laughs> can I have a ride? Oh, can you? Oh, can you have a ride? I'm like, I don't know. Or I said, Dad, can I have a ride? And he's like, oh, here we go. For just want a ride. And then I'll go, forget it. And he goes, oh, now you don't want a ride? What, do you make up your mind? Are you crazy? I'm like, you're making me crazy. <laughs> but there's never a straight answer. And I was like, well, that's just who they are. But I also think growing up, uh, I don't, I mean, look at my face. And I grew up in like Cracktown in Boston. <laughs> I grew up around druggies and poverty, but they used to call me ghetto Gidget. <laughs> Cause they were like, you're like, like people would, I would go somewhere and say they're doing crack and I'm young and I'm young. I mean, I'm talking like, we're going to go to the gas station and we climb up into the ceiling. Matt's like, let's go, we're going to visit. And then we're climbing up in the ceiling and it's a little room and the guy's doing crack. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> and he's like, you're cute. Like, Thank you. <laughs> Got my little dress. But it's like, it's like I never really uh, did that stuff. And I'm actually, I was so afraid of like, I'm like, I will never do any of those drugs. You know, so thank God I grew up in that. But it was hard to like, because everyone would always be like, treated me like, oh, no, she doesn't do this. She's our cute little light. Right. You know what I'm saying? They're so very I, protective I, of you. Yeah. So I could have gone anywhere and it was like. I could be around, surrounded by the things you would not think someone should be surrounded by when they were younger. Does that but make sense? You were sense? totally safe, yeah. But absolutely. I was totally like, no, it's okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'll get the baby while you guys go do some drugs. That's cool. You know what I mean? Or whatever. <laughs> I'll make spaghettios for all eight of your children. Are all these your children? Oh, no. They're the neighbors. Got it. I'm four, too, but I'll make dinner. You know, I don't know. So, uh, uh, which is all I'm like laughing because it's all coming back. So I was thinking about. Uh, so anyway, I feel like, you know, we used to watch gang fights. But I think to myself, wow. You know what I mean? I was young. Yeah. So I think that that, that sarcastic, bitter, but cuteness, I guess. Where in, trying... where in Boston were you? Were you Dorchester? Or? Oh, no, no, no. No, I, I laugh because everyone in California always says that. Like, everybody's from Dorchester, Marky right. Mark. Like, well, you know, because you're from Boston. Yeah. But I always go, no. So it wasn't that. It was basically, I don't know if you know, like, Lawrence Methuen. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. So Lawrence Lowell La Methuen, yep. Yeah, so Lawrence was, like, a lot of, you know. I mean, I had seven bikes stolen. Wow. Two while I was on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not surprising. Okay, so, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, Lawrence is, that's. There's like three. There's Dorchester, then you get the Lowell Lawrence, and then yep. you go uh, Lynn. Lynn, exactly. You know, those That's are it. those so are the three. All the yeah, places we would go. No, I was kidding. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. No, I just so, all of a sudden have a memory. Go ahead. No, so that's fine. Uh, I was just curious. Um, so, where, what kind of inspired you to to get into stand up then? Um, I think 
to diffuse people. And sometimes it could like, people would be, I don't know. I think it was a way to diffuse people or situations that were a little scary. Mm -hmm. So I would make everybody laugh, like the gang members or whatever was happening. I would just be like, hey, well, and they would like, what is going on here? And I would just like, I don't know. I would just say something about their gang member uniform or whatever. I'm just trying to remember or whatever. Not gang. It sounds like some sort of Spike Lee movie, but it wasn't that it was gangs. It was just like the tough kids right. on the neighborhood. And they would like beat you up. So I would diffuse them by making them laugh. Gotcha. So, gotcha. and then making my family laugh and my aunt laugh. Um, I know, you know, but sometimes you tell people stories and they go, that's so sad. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I thought it was hilarious. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not funny. What, uh, do you remember your first show? My first show? Uh, well, I actually, do you know the, you know the Boston Comedy Connection? Mm-hmm. Well, I love, one of my favorite clubs in the country before it, it shut down, so. Yeah, well, no, I started there, I started when I was, I, I think it was 17, I took the train in. And to take the train in by yourself is crazy. Mm -hmm. But that was the only way I was getting into Boston. So I took it to Faneuil Hall, and then, um... I just went and I asked for a job. So I ended up working there as a ticket girl. Okay. A lot, I lied about my age. I, but then when I kept seeing like all, DJ Hazard, you knew all these names, oh. Mike McDonald. Like yeah. I, 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 I was so like, Oh, you know, because these guys are from the ding ho and Lenny mm -hmm. Clark and they're tough. Colin Quinn. I remember, I remember them all. And I remember going, there's no way. So I would try to like go to other places to do comedy. So I just remember, I remember it was, but, but my first place, by the way, was um, the China Blossom Route 125. And then it was also, another place I started was uh, the Steakhouse off of- 93? 93. Yeah, and my aunt comedy was in palace. The crowd. My aunt was in the crowd and I bombed. Yeah. And my aunt was like, tell them the crack story. And I was like, <laughs> You know, auntie, and they all came. All those little mafia people came to see me, and they were buying drinks for everybody. My, she's she's my goddaughter. We're buying drinks for everyone. Mm -hmm. And then it was later. It was like, she's not that funny, but you know, you're like, well, yeah, I, it's my first, you know, first time. What am I yeah. saying? You know, but people don't realize it that you know you can't be yourself. It takes years to be yourself. So the first time you're nervous and you're scared and you're trying to get your jokes. You know, well, and it's and it's weird because it's the only it's one of the few pro uh, professions that you have to practice in front of the same people, you know, live. You know, it's right. not like if you're learning a guitar or a, an instrument, you can be at home and practice that the comedy. You have to be there, there's no real difference between practice and performing like that's it. You're you're out there. <laughs> Well, getting those do you reps find in. well? Do you find like somebody wants me to? I did a couple of live shows, not live shows, but the Zoom shows. Mm -hmm. I was like, "This is they're awful." They're awful, and even seasoned comedians they were doing their jokes, but I really wasn't laughing. Stop it! <laughs> it's like they hover around you like you're a moon. Yes, they have nowhere else to go. None yep. of my family, and I'll, I'll be noticing. I can go in the dining room, and they'll all come. <laughs> and then they'll like hover around me on being on the phone. I'm like, why is everyone near me? Anyway, sorry. So that's a dog. Okay. That's a dog trying to get in. Uh, so, um, uh, 
so yes, so they want me to do like my stand-up show and I was practicing to do it. They said, you can just tape it, self-tape, you know, send us the show. I'm like, I feel like an idiot. Like I feel yeah. like I'm six years old in my bedroom. Hi, how about you guys? <laughs> you know what I mean? What's up with dating and COVID and COVID-19, you know? Yeah, it's awful. I've, I've been asked to do, I, I think five or six of them. And I'm like, no, no, I refuse. Uh, Cause I've seen a couple and <laughs> <laughs> they're terrible. Uh, and you just, I mean, as comedians, we know, you know, seasons comedians, you go, all right, so no laughter, uh, no interaction. And then even if they do have the mics on, the mics are going to clip each other uh, from the, the people if they do laugh. And they also don't have that same, there's no one next to them laughing to build that, you know, like it's, right. you know, to that, that atmosphere where, where you hear somebody laugh, so you laugh. And then it just builds and builds and builds. And it's just, well, you know, plus nobody's going to laugh. Right. Right? Because isn't that what a comedy club is set up to do? Is you're laughing yeah. sort of in the dark. So if you're embarrassed to laugh at a certain joke, you're not. You're free to kind of, you know what I mean? But if people are mm -hmm. staring at you, you're kind of more, and then you notice they're not reacting. It's a herd. Yes, absolutely. And that's and that's why, like, uh, this is for, for people who, who uh, do comedy and who just like comedy. And that's why, like, comedy clubs are generally really dark because it's a, a psychological thing, like you said, when you feel anonymous and people can't see you, you're more willing to laugh about something as opposed to going, oh, everyone can see that I'm laughing. Should I be laughing about this? I don't know. And so it just allows you to just kind of like loose. And so with the Zoom calls, everybody's face is up there and they're like, I don't want to be seen laughing at this. I shouldn't be laughing at this. They get all self-conscious and it's like, no, yeah. laugh. Yeah. But yeah, I, I refuse to do those, those Zoom <sighs> calls. I was just like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I've done a couple of um, like interactive game nights like i did one for um a group of nurses which was kind of fun and so i did a little bit of comedy but it wasn't like me standing up in front of the fireplace uh or anything like that it was just kind of you just blended in with your your conversation like this you just kind of throw a joke in and you could see oh, them yeah. laughing you know and you're like all right that's cool well, that um, fun. so how long do you think it, it took for you for things to uh to click for you uh comedically it still it doesn't click. For me. Um, <laughs> That's not true. No, I think it doesn't. You know what? Hal Sparks, who you know I travel with, mm -hmm. and Hal's great. And Hal can do 45 minutes, and it's all new material. So you're just going, uh, wow. But I think what clicked for me is when you don't care. But the thing is you can't trick yourself into not caring. You have to really not care. Okay. So I think it took me, but the thing is when I, I was better when I first started and then it felt like it got worse <laughs> because you're so like, Oh, I'm just being myself and I don't have really jokes and I just kind of rant. And, but then it's like you, it gets, I don't know. Then you just get it. It's all such a mental game. Yes. And that is the hard part. Once you can, um, I think once you can master the mental part, it mm -hmm. starts to click for you. But I'll, but also, you know, and here's a great analogy, and then um, I'll let you talk. Um, because I was a flight attendant, I used to fly with pilots, like, all the time, meaning I used to talk to them, hang out with them, whatever. And they told me, oh, it's the easiest job in the world, but it's because they have all those hours, and they can hear one little thing, and they know how to correct it instinctively, because they've seen so many things come at them. Mm -hmm. But if they didn't have that time in the plane... They couldn't be prepared for this weather condition, this thing, this thing, that thing, and then they know how to deal with it in, instinctively. But 
it's same with comedy. Once you do it so long, you can instinctly know this audience. Ah, boom, I have to go here, change it, move it. Right. The weather conditions, which is an angry crowd. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like, or someone drops something. Like, yeah. Yes. Or, or you have to throw out this joke that all of a sudden seems, oh my God, she just said that off her head. But it's because you've done a thousand shows and you literally remember this bit that you've had 20 years ago. And right. you get to pull it to the front. But without all the stage time, that's when it clicks. Yeah. When you have that seasoned experience of, and it doesn't matter. I mean, I just don't think it takes a 10 year, like people say, or a five year or two year. It really depends on, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like how, cause some pilots are better than other pilots. They just don't get it. You know what I right. mean? Right. And sometimes people- oh, Sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. That's it. Okay. I was just curious, do you, um, like I do not like talking with the crowd at all. Like I want to go say my stuff, get my check, go home. Like, and they yes. laugh, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's me. But some people are like, man, I just want to get out there and talk to the crowd. Are, are you, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with those people. Yeah. I, really, <laughs> I really wish it was Jerry Seinfeld where Jerry is removed and he does sort of like, I, I started to realize, I think that's why I'm actually better in theaters because I'm actually a very clean comedian, but I feel like, and, but, at the same time, sometimes when you go in clubs, yes, you can you can you can feel that it you're gonna do better if you if you swear a little bit, yeah. if you're a little bit of this, and then I can feel that, and I'll go there, but I don't want to go there, and I don't yeah. like to go there. But, yeah, I. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, that, I mean, but I, I'm I'm a I want their love, which you're not supposed to, but I do. And I don't want to talk to them and I don't want them to tell me that they are not liking. This isn't a conversation. I don't want to talk right. to you. I want to perform and like, I want it to be TV. I want right. you to sit there and you can't, I can't hear you. You know what I mean? Yeah. But unfortunately okay. you can, you know, and, and you just see the, you see this and you hear the, <coughs> You know, or whatever for for me anyway, um, and it's it's always interesting uh, that you say you know uh, the whole like that was the thing because I I used to be a, a, a dirtier comment I would swear or whatever and, and talk a little bit about some stuff but uh, nothing was well, never graphic uh, or gross or anything and you're not that either um, and it was just like you said there there are times where you just feel like oh this is what they want. And what I've tried to do for that, because now I just work clean no matter where. Yeah. And, and so even like a second show Saturday night, I'm still clean. Uh, but when I feel they want that oomph, I just change my tone to more sarcastic and I put more bite into my act. Um, mm. You know, there's certain topics I want, like I'm not going to talk about chess on a second show Saturday night, like because they're not digging that, you know. But uh, my other stuff, I just put a little bit more like, uh, attitude into it and mm. that seems to give give them the the feel of what they want and then if I'm on like a super dirty show what I'll do is I have a, a an anti-dirty joke in the beginning which I just kind of say and it kind of lets them know like it brings them down from that because you know once they the the genie gets out of the bottle with you know like sex jokes or whatever like that's pretty much where they go and where they want to be and so I just kind of take them back from that and let them know that like, okay, I, I don't really do that. And, uh, and then it just, 
distinguishes my personality right up front and then we can go on and I can just do my act, which is kind of nice. So there, those are some little tips that I've, uh, I've learned out in that. So uh, let's get back to you because no one cares about me. No, um, I care about you. I'm oh, here. no, no, no. No, no, You're just do. <laughs> So talk to me about, um, talk to me a little bit about starting out in uh, Boston. I mean, you talked about DJ and I, I love DJ. He was amazing. Um, well, I mean, I've got the sensibility. I definitely, and I, I can't change that. I'll, I'll just say one thing I do know who I am now is I can't change like, I'll never be able to change, but I can't change. Like, even if I go home, like say my family, I was like, I'm going to go to a spelling bee and I need my family to come when I'm younger. They would be like, that's so stupid. Right. You're going to be so stupid. You're like, what? So I feel like everything is, I'm, I'm, I'm tougher on like myself. Like if I'm sick, I don't let people know I'm sick. I'm like, oh, it's just an, whatever. Don't be stupid. It's just. COVID-19, I have 190 degree temperature, my God. So yes, I can't breathe or move, you know what I mean? I've got my ventilator. So it's like, I'm just sort of that mentality. So I sometimes am tougher on like, my comedy is like a Bill Burr sensibility of like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and people will be like, that's, oh my goodness. And I have to dial that back. So that's starting in Boston, that is this that is an east coast i mean it, it just is and you better you better just go with them and get that a toughness a little bit mm -hmm. and then it's all males you know especially when i started it was all males um but then i moved to georgia my my family had moved to georgia so i said well i'm gonna i moved not with them i moved years later and uh so i i, I quit comedy you know because i did it all around boston but it was really tough and then I started back in the South and I found it a little bit easier in the South. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Cause it's a, it's a, I don't know why it's just, um, uh, it was just easier, I guess. I don't, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think why. So starting in Boston, I thought was a little tougher, even though I had that sensibility right. of the, of the, of the sarcasm and the sort of filber, you know, in a female perspective without being, too negative it's hard to explain but i'm very edgy and i come up with things i go oh you know what i mean like uh i can make you know my mom had epilepsy and i would make fun of her and uh you can you can do those things in boston right. but you, you cannot do those things in georgia right <laughs> so then but then that what helps me is learning the balance of making fun of her but not being mean about it you know right. because it can sound mean up there. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's, that's what I'm saying. Starting up there, I thought uh, was a little, uh, and, and even if you go to New, New York Comedy Club, it's still a little bit tougher, I think. The people are yeah. tougher. Yeah. And so now you're, you're out in LA. How do you contrast that to the LA scene? Well, I mean, you sound snobby, but a lot of times you're just like, ah, I don't have time for all of you people. You're all actors. Like there's a lot, there's so many actors doing their actor thing because their manager said that this would help them and you have to wait in line and you can't get up and you know, you just kind of like, you can see the difference between the standups and people who really are just not, shouldn't be there. Right. So then it, then it, it, it doesn't make comedy fun. I, I, I think a little bit, but I mean, LA is not the same. It's not really like I come to San Diego because San Diego is good for standup comedy. People mm -hmm. are there, they listen. But when you, you know, in Los Angeles, all industry, 
You know what I mean? And everyone's like, oh, it's guess with so-and-so's in the audience. And yeah. then after a while, you know, at first you're like, oh, wow. Then you're like, who cares? You <laughs> exactly. know what I mean? Then nothing's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Like, and then you're like, I just want an audience. I don't care. And, you know, yeah. and then anyway, so I just feel like being in LA, but I mean, comedy's comedy. You want to go to Indiana and go to a club? There are people in the audience. They don't. Right. They, they just hate your Trump jokes just like they do in Los Angeles, just like they do in Boston. No, you know what I mean? You can the same groans. You know, I just feel like I don't have Trump jokes, but I'm saying. Right. Sometimes audiences are just audiences. Yeah, that's. But yeah, I, I see what you mean about the L.A. It's just, you know, they're more focused on themselves and as opposed to what you're trying to do on stage. Um, what is your writing process like as far as uh, material? Well, now that you ask, <laughs> I've been writing the crap out of stuff because I just sit there and I say, my family comes and I just literally write. Because I, I find, especially being home, I mean, I'm the material is, I mean, it's, I mean, just the stuff I'm coming up with, like, I, I'm going to try to make a bit out of it, but it's like, I don't think people understand what this means. See my big eyes? Mm-hmm. That means to stop, right? <laughs> yes. Do you know what that means to my family? Keep going. And then ask, why are you doing this? And I'm like, <laughs> in front of, like, so I, I, like, so I'm trying to do a bit because I went to visit this um, friend of mine who was, uh, who was sick. So I brought my sister and then she starts on the politics and I'm like, <laughs> so she's like, what, what, you, what? What did I say? Oh, you're going to, oh, will you just have me? I'm like this. Trying to do that. <laughs> oh, you have big eyes. I know what those mean. And you're like, well, then let me shut the whole <laughs> So I've been, I've been like enjoying the fact that's my writing process. So I'm, I, I write constantly what my parents say, what my dad says, how I'm getting, how I, uh, there's people steal power here. This is what happens in the end, end of the world. Your power is stolen constantly by people just unplugging your stuff, walking away, charging their stuff, and then you have to go work and you have zero percent because they're like stealing power, like we're animals. So I just feel like those kinds of things, I just constantly, I get frustrated, I write it down, and then I just work it, work yep. it, work something very specific and work it, work it until um, until it's a, a bit. And then the only way really I can do it is on stage and then... I can find where people laugh and then I can add things. And it's always like, what does this feel like to me? Right. So like, what does it feel like to have my dad constantly follow me around and yell at me? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? While I'm under quarantine. You know what I mean? And you yeah. can't get away, away from it. Well, I think that's, that's, you know, cause people say, you know, how do I connect with people? Um, cause I talk about, you know, my facial paralysis or whatever. And I think there's, there's the uh, specific topic, whether it's, you know, your dad uh, following you around or what, and, you know, just mocking you or whatever. But then there's the underlying theme, which I think people can relate to. So some people, you know, may not relate to facial paralysis, but they relate to feeling self-conscious. Right. You know, and so that's why I think, you know, certain material works across all bounds and it can be specific mm -hmm. to you still have an impact. Like, oh, I have family members who drive me nuts you know, or they, you know, they are always doing this to me. And so that's, I think where it can all link together. It's, it's kind of a, a cool process. 
Well, can I ask, I'm going to turn the interview on you. All right. Can I, can I ask like, so are you doing, I, I mean, cause now we've been in, say this, we've been off stage and we've been here with our collective thoughts. Mm -hmm. So do you think has anything, and I've seen, I've seen all of your uh, working on all of your impressions, which are amazing. Oh, thank you. Now, no, they are. Cause I actually, you should watch the Daryl Hammond. Did you watch the Daryl Hammond documentary on uh, Netflix? Oh, I haven't. Oh, please no. do. Oh, okay. Please do. Okay. Because it, it, it never mind. It just talks about his abuse as a child, which is heartbreaking and uh, and horrible. Right. But it just shows his. I mean, it really. I didn't get the depth of his brilliance from mimicry. So, oh God, just I. I don't know what it's called, but it's so good. I'll find um, it. Yeah. And I reminded me of you. So, um, but I'm like now going. Um, I, I want to have more fun when I get out. I want to do more impressions. I want to do. More, mm -hmm. I I love doing um uh you know um accents and mm -hmm. I like being you know when I realize I'm I'm more natural when I'm in a scene than I am just saying this joke this joke this joke I right. want to be in the scene. Mm -hmm. Steven, stop it! <laughs> well, I don't care if he's I don't care if he's having a seizure. I'm busy. <laughs> Now, see, some people would think that that's harsh, but that's just love. That's what I'm. That is love. He's, because my brother is on the thing saying, "Your brother's having a seizure. You better come quick." Because they, they, I told you, if I'm doing something, if I could be talking to my boss and saying this is really important interview, and he's going to fire me, my brother would be there mooning me in the back. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm saying they're doing this on purpose, and they're making me. And he threw the dog at the door so it would bark. <laughs> And I've been dealing with this the whole interview. So it's making, it's like, that's what they do. That's you what I'm do? trying to tell you. This is what my family does. There's six of us. We're all Catholics. <laughs> East Coast crazy people. There's there's nothing more enjoyable than, than poking at uh, other family members. Exactly. It's, Torturing. That's, yeah. That, my family's the same way. You put us in a room. It's just, we're always at each other. But the nice thing is if someone attacks the family, like, oh, no, no. You all no. go and it's it's over. Sir, we're very oh, yeah. Italian. We're very yes. Italian. You, mm. I can talk about my daughter and how she's a piece of. You don't talk to my. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I'm sorry. You were saying um, you were <laughs> you're talking about being more into and in, in, in the scene. No, I was just saying I've been really thinking about what I what would make me happy. What what do I want? I think I hope people. I mean, how could you not reflect? Like, what does it mean? And when did when when we get back out there? What what is it? You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you want to do? That's what I'm saying. If you have, have had any thoughts about things you like, things you want to do more of with you know, comedy. I, I, uh, well, I agree with you. I think this is one of the, the best things about the, the whole pandemic is, you know, there are a lot of people who unfortunately lost their jobs, but they're probably, there are some people who didn't like doing what they were doing. This gives them an opportunity to maybe start up a business or chase their dream or whatever, you know? Um, for me personally, I don't, I, I kind of, I was like, what am I going to do for material? Like I, you know, you just get in those, those certain points in your life. You go, do I want to do continue doing this? And I, I think I want to do more voices and I want to do more of a um, frantic version of it uh, where they're just going in and out and in between. And, um, you know, I definitely went, okay, I, I'm done with the fat jokes. I'm, I'm done with the fat jokes. Like, I, mm. I, you know, I've been doing them forever. But, I mean, they're great and all, but, you know, I, I'm just like, okay, I, I'm, I don't want to talk about that I anymore. Get it. Yeah. So 
I, uh, I, I definitely started to do that. And then I was like, I'm going to write a new hour, you know, and I started to fill out this notebook. And then a couple of weeks in, I was like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see when we get back out there. I, but I definitely want to have more fun and I definitely want to try a different style of comedy. Um, mm. which is hard because it's like, you have this one style that works so well. Like I just talked to Brian Kylie, whom oh, I love and he's, and I, I, I said, you know, I, I watch him and I want to, I want to develop like five minutes of like setup punch the way Brian Kylie does. And it's just cause he's masterful and it's just a ch another challenge. You know, I think it's just something to keep, uh, keep it fresh and, and, and different. That's kind of my, right. yeah. Just kind of evolve as comedians. Sure, sure. Well, I, I, I also think like you, like you said, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just, you just have to be yourself. Right. You know what I mean? And then sometimes you realize you're being a version of yourself. Yeah. And then you're, you know what I'm saying? Instead of, like you're saying the fat jokes. I mean, I did short jokes and then I do these Disney jokes because I work on a Disney show. Right. And I work with children and I, you know, do that. But what I realize is I'm like, there's so much more depth into really working with Disney mm -hmm. and, and not just the, the surface stuff. Right. You know what I mean? What is it really, you know what I mean? Like I've been like saying, it is funny. The kids always want to play with me. And that's one of my, my jokes. Um, so it's not really a short joke, but I'm like, what is it really like to work with Disney children? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. What is it really like to be, you know, make, you know, $200 a day while these people are making like $25,000. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know that's, what I'm yeah. Anyway. Like that's, that's what I, I kind of want to do with like the, the facial paralysis too. I want to make it bigger and more in depth and really get into it because I really want to go around and, and, and help people and get them to laugh. Like that's such a, a an important thing to me, uh, to help, you know, um, others who other groups that may or may not be, um, accounted for in, in normal, you know, life. Well, so, my sister had that. She oh, had really? that for like a year. Mm. And, uh, I mean, so you know, she would relate or yeah. my other sisters having got, got, I mean, you should talk about your bypass surgery. You don't have right. to, but I'm, right. saying it, I'm saying it's not a bad joke. It is actually helping people that are going through right. that. Like my sister's going through that and she's feeling this or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes, you know, it's not about like, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. You were saying, I'm not doing, I don't want to just do short jokes that are like, Oh, okay. That's cutesy. But how do I delve into the short, more. right. You know what I mean? Like we were talking about, what's the underlying theme of it? So it's not just that I'm fat. It's more of the, you know, what's right. the, the, the feeling behind it and uh, the insecurities or whatever, right, whatever right, that right, is. Right. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, so I, I love asking this question. It's one of my favorite questions of all. Are you ready? I'm ready. What was your worst show ever? What was my worst show ever? Oh, so many. <laughs> how much time do we say, have yeah no let's just say there's two but there's there's two but if i go up on stage sometimes my mind will be like remember that show remember it remember that show that was so horrible <laughs> i hope that doesn't happen again and you're like what the stop that so one of them is um okay it's <laughs> i've never told anybody this um, my friend said, why don't you do this big, uh, fundraiser, not a fundraiser, but it's for like the, um, it was for, it was just for a, a club, like a rotary club, but it was like packed and it was future businesses of America. And it was the whole town. She's like, you'll get 200 bucks. 
You know, they want you to interact with every single person in the show. So I, I mean, I researched it. This is a real corporate show. It's my first corporate show. I said, okay. So, and she's like, if it's not much money. So I'm like, well, that's good. Cause then I get to practice without feeling the stress of it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I asked my friend who's a corporate comedian. I'm like, well, how do I interact? What do I do? So I'm, I'm, I'm literally, so I get up there and I immediately shut down one of the biggest business guys in all of Los Angeles. Like he's the owner of all of Chevron. He's like the CEO. I shut him down and I go, why don't you go sit next to the Dollar Tree people? And I was kind of going back and forth and it was working great. And then all of a sudden I went to jab at somebody else and it, it bombed. And then I was like, well, it's so-and-so and so-and-so. And then that bombed. And then it just, I started to go, let me go to my act. And then my act, I got like three laughs, but then I was like, what am I going to talk about my, my boyfriend? Like what? They don't right. want to hear about my boyfriend. And then I couldn't talk. Like I was like, um, so thank you everyone. And I was up there <laughs> probably three minutes and then I got my check in front of everybody <laughs> and walked off and she was like, um, every, everyone. Wh-? And I just literally ran away. And to this day, <laughs> to this day though, if I go by that place, which I have to, to go to work sometimes, I just think there's that place. There's what I did. And I, the shame, the shame is as undeniable. And sometimes if I have to do a show where somebody counts, it's weird because mine's mental. Like if somebody counts on me, like, oh, everyone said you were hilarious. So we got all of our 45 year old ladies to come up here and talk about your Botox and stuff. We're all excited. I've told everybody, everybody, everyone thinks you're hilarious. Like they don't even know me. I will almost stutter a little bit. I had to work to get through it. Wow. But if you tell me I suck, I'm here, I'm there. Yeah. And I'll remember that show. Yeah. I don't know. It was torture. And that's it just a, keeps, a, and it chirps at you all the time, right? Just yeah. tell and me I you can say, that? And I, I don't know if you have time for the, the other time I bombed real quick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There are always time right. for that. <laughs> I, beat out, I beat out 800 people, all 800 comedians all over this country to go to a festival. 800. I get there. There's 1,500 people in the audience. And um, one of the biggest comedians, I'm not going to say who he is, he's huge. He was pacing. I'm about to go on stage. He's pacing back and forth. I'm like, what's wrong? He goes, oh, my God, I haven't, I haven't been this nervous since I, since I first started comedy. I haven't been this nervous since I was a, a POW in Vietnam. <laughs> I haven't been this nervous since I did my 18th Letterman. I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> Man, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Stephen Wright, your heroes are in the audience. Come on out. I bombed. Oh, no. I stuttered. I was like, um, what? Uh, I got through a couple jokes and then I got off. I was only there three minutes. Wow. There like eight. And usually that's what I would do. Like I get scared and I bail because I couldn't, nothing was coming. It didn't matter. I could stay up there for three minutes more. Right. But I would be like this. Yeah. Play with my hair in front of 1500. I still to this day. <laughs> but after you do something like that, I will tell you there's a freedom. Right. There is a freedom of like, and this was me after I go, you, if you quit now, you can't get back on. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is like getting, I mean, kicked off the horse. The horse kicks you in the face. <laughs> and then you're like, you don't get back. Ride it back on this horse. 
Right. You will forever be the person that was kicked in the face by the horse. <laughs> so it's like I just got right back on. It's it's interesting because I remember um, Dane Cook t- uh, told a story about that where he um, did a battle of the bands back in uh, Great Woods uh, concert hall in Mansfield, Ooh. Massachusetts, right? Ooh. And he got booed off stage. And um, he said, you know, once you get booed off stage by 4,000 people, what what do you fear? You know what I mean? Like you have to get back on and do that. He goes, but he, it was that same thing of like it was freeing, you know, that you – you fail that on that scale <laughs> that uh, you're like, well, nothing's going to be worse than that. So it does. It kind of frees you up to be like, all right, let's, let's go do this. Uh, well, that's, but isn't that the yeah. illusion of comedy real quick? The mm-hmm. illusion is you're on one minute, you're the best thing ever and you're hilarious and you're killing it. And the next minute it's like, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. You're at yeah. home with your family in quarantine and they're booing you as you walk to the kitchen. Yep. That's, anyway. As I call it, comedy punches you in the face. Mm. You know, you're and like, then, yeah. and, then it, and then it licks you. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, ooh, stop touching yeah. me. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm going to teach you an essay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's really hard sometimes to, to maintain your confidence uh, because of the ups and downs. It's such a weird uh, industry. Um, so now you, before quarantine, you, uh, like I said, you tour with House Sparks. How did you uh, end up? Um, touring for a national act and what is that like um i can tell you how sparks is uh, i mean I, I couldn't say enough positive things about him if you don't know him he's from disney's lab rats he did queer as folk his audiences were, were always so easy you know kind of wasn't fair because mm-hmm. the people he drew out were loving and just wanted you to succeed and just you know and then he you know and i started with him 10 years ago so it was like right when i got to los angeles I started, and thank God I'd had seven years on the road because I probably wouldn't have gotten that. Um, but I still had quit for three or four years, so I had like a lull in that between when I started back up again. So I kind of had to get my sea legs, and he let me get. He gave me permission to fail, and I failed many times with him. And he'd be like, "Ah, you're funny. You just like it's like he believed like he believed in me, even though I wasn't ready ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I've been his act." you know, ever since opening and, you know, traveling with him. And, you know, he has other features, which I didn't know. I'm like, oh, here are other features. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, definitely any show that I've done with him has been amazing. He's taken me all over the country. And, uh, you know, he's been a great, great, I mean, he, 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 he's taught me, he's the one that taught me about not caring and mm-hmm. about how, how to uh, take the joke. You know, one of the things he told me is, okay, you say you're going to write a joke about chickens and a farm. Just take it and run with it. It doesn't matter. Just add chickens and eggs and add everything you can think of with a farm and even be in your imagination. And you know what I mean? Until there's Mm. like, you're like, it's the most ridiculous. And then you'll pull stuff out. So he's kind of taught me how to write that way, which is just to, you know follow everything that comes after in your brain. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. follow, don't just start off with this joke and then you'll end up with something different anyway. Cause he can do that. He can rant and, you know, and he can feel it in his body and I can see him. Yeah. He's amazing. Um, he's, I, yeah. I love his energy. He's a, a high energy. I love, 
I love them. He's he's great. Um, yeah. So what for? Because a lot of people don't know what what a typical week is like out on the road. They just go to the show and they go back. So what is what is a typical week like out on the road for you? Well, I did I did the road for ten years straight, and that was comedy and even being a flight attendant. And I mean straight. And I mean to the point where I would wake up in the middle of the night. I'd get out of my bed and fall because I didn't know where the bathroom was. And I was on the wrong side thinking I was in a different hotel, bumping into things confused. And it's just either it's like airport, hotel, comedy club, some stupid museum <laughs> that you toured that day before mm -hmm. you get to the club. Uh, it's like you are learned to be by yourself because you eat by yourself. And then, you know, you work out. You're on the road. So everything is sort of like, but then after you travel all over the country, like you're in Indiana, then Tampa, and then Boston, it, cause because of like, you know, because of like all the restaurants and movies and food, it is literally like you're in the same thing. Cause mm -hmm. everything's the same. It's like, you're gonna see the same darn Starbucks that's gonna go to your, you know, so I try to go to mom and pop places, but it definitely feels like you're, you know, it's like I just said, airport hotel, inside a comedy club, chicken fingers for dinner. <laughs> it's like sort of the Groundhog Day mm -hmm. of, you know, it's the same stuff at the air airlines. You're just running, 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 and then you get off and you get out of the airport and you don't know if it's going to be too hot or cold and you pack the wrong stuff. And it's kind of like being on vacation hmm. every darn week for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> because you know then you just you know especially when we'll do road gigs so we would like land in nebraska right and then we mm -hmm. go to idaho then come back up to whatever and just do this des moines iowa and do this huge loop you know wow. and then we would like road food and we would go get the same you know snacks at the 7-eleven and then you know get a bunch of chips and he would listen to like uh, Ricky Gervais. He listened to a lot of Ricky Gervais podcasts, you know, on your eight hour drive from gig right. to gig, sleeping in your car a lot. So you have to pay for a hotel You check out of your hotel, wait for your plane. So you were like, well, we might as well not get another hotel for tonight. We just sleep in the car until our plane leaves at 5 a.m. Which is weird because you're a yeah. person. Right. But it's cool. Like I've slept <laughs> in so many, ho so many airports. And it really? doesn't bother me. Huh. Oh yeah, it doesn't bother me like at all. Like just just to go like like uh uh especially um I have to stand by sometimes for my flights because I get um uh, uh from my friends I get buddy passes. But you know, I, I just did it like like maybe like when I before I got here, I had to stay the night in a hotel in a, in a um in Dallas, Dallas, and there was nobody in the airport airport, nothing was open. I got stuck wow. there. So wow. I'm just saying, but it's normal. Yeah. I don't I don't panic about anything. You know what I mean? They could be like, this is where you're going to be for the next six months. I'm like, well, let me hmm. get my, mag my magazine out and read my, you know, whatever. That's it. Anyway, it's like so, that. So um, for the comedians that uh, watch or listen to this, of which there'll be millions, of course. Millions, uh, yes, of millions. course. Uh, what are some do's and don'ts when you're working with a, um, one on the road and with a, a national touring act? Uh, say it again. What is it? What? What are some me. do's and don'ts um, with oh. being on the road and um, touring with, with a national act? Uh, do's and don'ts. I mean, I, I mean, I just, 
you know, you just have, you, you, you have to be like a person that's like a when in Rome kind of person. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because you're just going to so many different personalities, so many different things. Sometimes they're mean to you. Sometimes they don't have time for you. They don't care about you. And other times they treat you like you're gold. And then, you know, sometimes they have another act that's it's opening for you that's mad that they're not featuring and they're better than you. Good luck with that. Have fun getting that not bitter pill. And then you get to deal with that. And then you, for some reason, sucked. And then the, they're like, oh, she's, you know, wasn't even that good. And we shouldn't have her back. And you're just like, what? I had one bad show or two bad shows. Um, and that's where you have to have a good national headliner to stick up for you or, you know, I mean... And then you could offend the audience. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. uh, if you say the wrong thing, and then that makes Hal look bad. Right. So I have to be careful not to make sure I know my audience and make sure, because, you know, he does the queerest folk. You know, not that I have any jokes that offend anybody, but I'm saying the point is, like, I still have to be careful. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If somebody, because, you know, it's Hal. Somebody could be yeah. in the audience with a dress and a tutu and lipstick, and I get confused. And I just go, huh? And then I'll register. Oh, or I'll call like some guy, I'm like, hey, sir. And she's like, I'm a woman. And I go, oh, sorry, sir. I mean, ma'am. I mean, because you know, right? Like, and then I'm like uh, stuttering, but I have to like, yeah, protect his brand, almost. I protect his, yeah, yeah. And this like you like about, about being clean. Well, kids, he has kids at his show. He's really? Disney, he was on Disney Live oh, Rats for eight years. Yeah. So can you imagine having a five-year-old in front of in the in front of the show? <laughs> I did, and I I was a little risque, and I tried it, and it worked, and I got to play with it. Like I said, oh, I'm gonna talk about my girl parts. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> so you know, the mother, you know, so, but it, it worked. But it could have went the other way, right? You know, but. I don't know. I think I think it's just I think it's just being I think it's being respectful. And I think a lot of comedians I've seen, you know, just from working at flappers and booking and people, they're not like I should have this much time. Why do they get this much time? And I'm supposed to be on 20 minutes and they just cut my time to 15 because he's doing and they were late. It's like you have to let there is no ego. Mm -hmm. There's you know, you. I feel like I feel like you just have to go with all the there's so many crazy things happen. Right. You know that's, what I mean? And yeah, that's that's great advice. You know, it's because it's not about you. It's about the show. It's about the headliner that they're coming to see or, or whatever. And so. It is. And I've got I haven't gotten paid at times. And then I have to figure that out. And I mean, yes. And you keep forgetting that they are seeing the headliner. Um, and then you, you almost have to have like a let like you're, you're there to live, build them up. Right. But if, if you have an attitude of it's my I don't know. I don't know. I just think you just leave your ego at home with all of it. Yeah. Doing, doing, I mean, I, I tell people that go, Oh, I wouldn't do those shows. I was like, you know, I went to San Diego and didn't even watch a show. I mean, didn't even, wasn't even on Maria's show when I, Maria Herman, our friend, mm -hmm. that's how I met her. I literally just drove three hours with my friends just to see if she could meet me so that I could come back, did came back another three hour trip, you know, same night, did five minutes. And, but because I met her, it changed my life. Right. There's so many like people. I wouldn't do that. I'm not driving six. You're like, dude. If you can't drive two hours to San Diego, you can't be on the road. Right. You're driving seven hours from Detroit to Indiana, which I did many times. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, well, we're we're gonna be running out of time soon. So, but oh, I, what sorry. what I want to do? I know. No, it's it's. it's I, been did awesome. I ramble? Anyway. No, not at all. Um, 
So, but I want to talk a little bit about um, the organization. Well, first, before we go, if people want to find you on social media, they can go to charlenemay.com, and that's M-A-E, charlenemay.com, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they can follow you on social media, on Facebook, at Charlene May, again, M-A-E, mm-hmm. and Instagram, at Charlene Comedy. Yeah, um, and I don't do look, Twitter. I know I should. I don't. Eh, Twitter's... I eh. can't. Yeah, it's accessible. So, uh, but let's talk a little bit about um, uh, your charity or or charity that you're, or an organization that you're you're into, and that's uh, Dream Center LA. Tell us a little bit about uh, Dream Center. Well, you know, and I would have, I would have gone to volunteer because they, let me just make sure I have the right, you know, uh, handle because I would feel really bad. Uh, It's, yep, there's my dyslexia. (laughs) That's so hilarious. It's the LA Dream Center. Okay. Um, but it's on Instagram and uh, it's a charitable organization and they give to, they just feed people. Thousands, they've been feeding thousands of people every single day. Thousands coming through. Like 12 hours a day, they just feed them, don't ask questions, just give them huge meals. And uh, I, um, I love that and support that financially. And How did you uh, get involved in that? How did, you, how did that become... It was one of the actors. It was mm. one of the actors on our show. Uh, uh, and then I know Patricia Heaton does it. And um, I know Melissa, um, what is her last name? Um, oh, my God. Pete Peterman. She was one of the shows I worked. So, you know, you just, you just, and then you just kind of gravitas towards something that you believe in. Cause there's so many of them in Hollywood right. that you could just be like, but I like that one in St. Jude. I mean, I do, I give to St. Jude every month, but. Yeah, I was checking out. Yeah, I was yeah. checking out um, Dream Center, and I am on their website. And it's uh, they serve as a resource center focused on finding solutions to homelessness, hunger, and the lack of education through residential, community, and outreach programs. And this is amazing. Like they have this yeah adopt a block program where they go out and distribute food and hygiene uh, items and other uh, essentials, picking up trash, visiting families door to door. They have a clothing outreach. They have disaster outreach. They have a food truck. They have foster care intervention, human trafficking, <laughs> trafficking rescue. Uh, they have discipleship. They have these connections. They help um, people with uh, transition into independent living. They have foster youth, homeless families. They, you know, they help uh, adult education. They have the kitchen. They have a fitness center and the food bank. Like it's it's amazing. It's uh, an incredible organization. So. People should definitely check out dreamcenter.org and um, take a look at that and see some of the cool things that they do. But uh, yeah. That's so I wanna... sweet that you do a charity. You're yeah. so sweet. You're, well, so, I... like, you're such the most loving, <laughs> kind, sweetheart of a man I've ever met in my life. I'm, I'm so blessed to know you. I'm sorry oh, thank I you. I... you. I watch how hard you work on your, you know, your show and your, you know, Seriously. I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate that. And it's, it's about, like I said, once, once I got sick, my whole attitude kind of changed. It's about trying to help others. And that's the whole point of this podcast is to talk comedy, but show a little bit behind the, the comedy and show, you know, how can we all kind of help and inspire people to uh, help and to give and to, to do a little bit more. So, um, well, if anybody, anybody out there, if you have any questions for me, you can just go to my Instagram or Facebook and message me and you know, I always, I always like talking shop because I also, I've been in this for 25 years, meaning, I mean, since I was 18, that's all I've ever done. And I booked many shows. I booked thousands of shows because I was also a booker. I also did huge venues. You know what I mean? So I've, mm-hmm. I, I know, you know, I, I, I mean, people would always go, who, who books you? I go, I book me. 
You know what I mean? I yep. book myself all over yep. the world. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, I definitely feel like if I could give back in that way, whatever. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Charlene, so much for, for taking some time and uh, escaping your family a little bit. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And uh, I can't wait until this is all over and we get to do shows again Yay! and uh, work together again. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time today. And we'll talk Yay! to you soon.